Today is July 28th, 2019. Good morning, LCM. We've got an exciting morning planned for you. Our title this morning is announced on Wednesday, a rare thing that we do. Patents or Patents of Nobility. It's the last message in the series called Family Banner. It's likely that you haven't spent a great deal of time dwelling on the topic of patents of nobility. In fact, it's difficult for me to say those words without reminiscing about a movie called The Knight's Tale. It starred Heath Ledger, who is tragically in a place he doesn't want to be right now. It's true. It is true. Those of you who are familiar may recall Paul Bettany playing Joe Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Chaucer, who was prevailed upon to forge patents of nobility that would allow Heath Ledger to masquerade as a noble knight, although he was born a mere peasant. This transformation was accompanied by a name change, an attire change, and, of course, the most epic introduction ever. Mm, would y'all like to see it? Yeah. Do you want to see it? Yeah. My lords! My lords! My ladies! And everybody else here not sitting on a corset! Charlemagne. I first met him atop a mountain near Jerusalem, praying to God, asking his forgiveness for the Saracen blood spilt by his sword. Next, he amazed me still further in Italy when he saved a fatherless beauty from the would-be ravishings of her dreadful Turkish uncle. <laughs> In Greece, he spent a year in silence just to better understand the sound of a whisper. And so, without further gilding the lily, and with no more ado, I give to you the seeker of serenity, the protector of Italian virginity, the enforcer of our Lord God, the one, the only, Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein! <laughs> This is, of course, a favorite of so many people for many reasons. To start with, Heath Ledger is a stable boy. And none, nothing that was said was true about him, and yet he rises to greatness. You know, perhaps there's an innate human desire to aspire to more. Maybe, maybe the reason people love this movie is that 
it steals from the basic tenets of the gospel. Think about it even regarding Jesus. The writer of Hebrews has this very subject to deal with. Look at Hebrews 7 and verse 15. Say there when you were there. You remember where Jeffrey Chaucer says he's descended from knights beyond Charlemagne? (laughs) The truth is he hasn't descended from a single knight. Okay, but it sounded good. The writer of Hebrews is drawing on a story from Genesis 14. And he says, and what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, i.e. patents of nobility, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. In the movie, Heath is declared a knight because he is undefeatable and shows character. In the gospel, Jesus' true origin is revealed in his indestructible life. But both initially look like peasants. Something about this parallel draws mankind, whether or not we recognize that it's a gospel truth. Somebody grows up in one town, dreaming that they might one day rise up and become something else. That they might move out. That they might grow in world standing to something beyond what they were born to. And the writers of this movie capitalized on that innate desire. This morning, we don't want to talk to you about Heath Ledger. We don't even want to plan to focus on the carpenter's son who ascended to the right hand of God. Our topic this morning is your, say your, Your. say my, My. patents of nobility, your family banner. I want to show you a few examples of patents of nobility so that you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Let's take that first slide. This is a document from Irish history. The monarch... Uh, of, that was ruling over the Irish at the time includes his seal. And then there are family banners under the seal that show the descent so that the bearer of this document can prove that he's of a noble line. All of these patents of nobility had to have the crest of the king on them. The banner of those who were beholden to him. What the document is showing is that nobility extended from the monarch to the bearer of the document, but the bearer of the document was completely beholden to the noble that he served. Your family banner is from above. It's been initiated in heaven, but it's being implemented on earth. Somebody say amen to that. Let's see the next one. This is from Russia. (laughs) <laughs> it's a patent of nobility Ruski. that is from Ruski. Your family banner descends from the authority of your sovereign. Even in the positioning of this document, you see that we have a symbol at the top and all of the following things come underneath the sovereign reign of the kingship, the czar. Your nobility is submitted to him. His subject and these rules, regulations, and assessments are completely deferred to him. So the way that this would work is that you would rise from whatever station you're in under his authority. So whether you became a count, you became a knight, you became a sir, it was all based upon your merit according to the king's assessment of your life. And in this paper, it was proof, maybe even a seal or a document that stated that you and someone in your previous family line had rose to meet a standard. It was a pretext for you to be able to participate in certain events in society. His banner is above you, and yours is below. And heaven is established in between these two. 
that heaven kissing earth has been a real theme for us because you're a merger of what is earthly and heavenly. When God took the substance of the earth dust and he breathed his substance into it, you became a new race at that point. In fact, the devil is quite the xenophobe. He hates the heavenly race. And you are born of heaven. I want to show you a third document. This document is British. So we're not going to boo at this particular moment. You will be not, not asked to eat kidneys and liver or any other disgusting British dish. This one is actually got some biblical themes in it because uh, the United Kingdom was supposed to be a kingdom founded with the uh, Christian principles in mind. Do you see the three seals at the bottom? Look, our patents of nobility is sealed by a sinless name. The name that is above every name. Amen. The saint's banner is to carry that name and more than that, to exhibit his name inside of your family name. As we move through this message, you're going to see that when the Treasters or the Ariuses walk around, they are carrying inside them the name of Jesus and everyone sees that what is noble about them is that they are carriers of that name. The seal that we receive is a supernatural seal. Yep. It's not set in wax on a paper document. It's actually the infilling of the Holy Spirit that guides you in the ways of the King. The thing is, is that when Ephesians 1.13 talks about this seal being a guarantee, it's not the placement of the seal that's a guarantee. It's adherence to the principles of the seal which is the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you listen to what he is saying, you will arrive at his aim. If you do not, it's no different than tearing the seals right off of your patents of nobility. Yeah. Remember this series started in a certain place. This is our eighth sermon on the topic and will be the final one. Let's go to Numbers 2, verse 1 together, and we're going to read it. Amen. Somebody say there when you're there. Okay, two of you are there. This is the book of Bay Midbar. It's not hard to find. It's in the first five books. If you start at the left side of your Bible and work towards the right, you will eventually, like, this, like Columbus, discover it and land on it. Or maybe these days it's the Vikings. It depends on how many of you YouTube videos you've watched. <laughs> so Numbers 2, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, The Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting, some distance from it. Each man under his standard with the banners of his family. Wow. We've gone through the tribal arrangements of Israel. We've gone through the Hebrew subtext for these verses in English. We're not going to do all those things again because I want you to grasp the larger concept. In fact, we have a slide designed to help you do that. When we originally started talking about the family banner, we were showing that the clans uh, were organized by families and those clans were worked into tribes, and they all had a position before God's throne. We began to look at some of the characteristics. The word for banner in this text was, of course, ot in Hebrew. Uh, if you make it plural, otot. Uh, your banner has to do with your supernatural radical conversion. It's what began the process of leading you towards a mezuzah. There have been some confusion in, in the church body. When we say family banner, what we're doing is we are taking your mezuzah and we are adding to it depth. 
We're adding to it height. We're adding to it width. We're helping you understand that it is more than just a statement that you're aimed at. It involves each of these other things. Like a promise. And a promise. These are things that, according to your supernatural sign and the mezuzah that's been given to you, God is standing, will come about as you walk in it. That as we function as we are called to, and we remember that supernatural thing that happened to us and live an empowered life, we will see certain things fulfilled. And our family, Isaiah 59, 21, is a pivotal passage. It speaks and reminds us that that same spirit will come through one generation into the next and never depart. And that we must raise up sons that can do what we have done. In this room, as we begin to add to our banner, we reform our mezuzah and make it clear Your promises are fulfilled by simply pursuing and going after the calling that you have. There are things that God said are going to come come to pass. These things come to pass as we stick to the first thing that he showed us. And we hold our banners as immutable standards before our family. The reason Justin Treister was preaching on an indestructible attitude as a part of your family banner is the whole genesis of this message came about on Cody's birthday. We were talking to Cody about what it means to raise a son under the family banner. And we said, listen, when you've been radically transformed, when God has given you a direction to go, and then he's begun to affirm you with promises, scriptural promises like Isaiah 59, 21, you can know for sure that your son will have the word of God in him, that it's your job to instill that in him. This breeds a certain kind of attitude in you. For us, the attitude was derived from Aruna's threshing floor where David looks right at Aruna who wants to give him an offering for free and says, no, I insist on paying full price. We wanted to cultivate the kind of attitude that said, I don't care what it costs. I don't want an easier way out. I don't want something lesser. He is worth it and I will do whatever it takes. That is the attitude that we walk in with our banner. As Justin was describing his, it was the attitude that your promises are indestructible. It was the attitude that God has said it so it can't be stopped. It was an indestructible attitude. We want you to find the attitude that God wants your family to display. As these things begin to build and you have a clear guideline, a banner that you're walking in, promises that give you confidence and an attitude that is brazen, you begin to walk out your mission. And this is done with supernatural components. It's when you look at a thousand men and ask if they want to fight with two. It's when your preaching is testified to by a demonstration of the Spirit's power, not wisdom alone. The way that we carry out our mission is in the supernatural. It is with the infilling the Holy Ghost. It is letting the full power of the gospel out because you know who you are, what he has promised, and you got the attitude of Christ. This should empower us to carry out the works that we are called to. As our missions began or our messages began to progress, we noticed that it's a wrong thing to think of your mezuzah or your family banner as a singular mission. The truth is, is that it contains many missions, but they all have the kind of components that Judah is describing. They're supernatural in nature. This led us to what is the method that we carry out our missions in. And for the Stevens, it was a firm commitment. It's not that we could not stand alone. We choose not to stand alone. Amen. For righteousness' sake, we believe the work of God is best displayed in teams. Amen. And we've learned to love that. For Stevens, the method is always that we prefer to stand in teams. Number six is curses and blessings. 
See, these things come from your banner. When God blesses you in an area and you're walking in it, there is a result and opposition that comes from men. Jesus walked in the power of the Holy Ghost and it caused men to revile against him, to curse him. And there are things that were suffered that you learn under your family banner. It's kind of accept. More than accept, look forward to it. Begin to see it as a marker in your life that I'm walking in the function, the calling, the banner that I'm made for. There are supposed to be enemies that don't like it. Why? Because I'm representing a king. I'm doing it fully. I'm doing it with power. I'm doing it as a mission and I'm holding on to my promise. Curses and blessings surround people who are oaks of righteousness and not merely weeds that are blowing in the wind. It's a statement of affirmation from our king. On the subject of curses and blessings, I was in a car with an old man 20 years ago. And we're driving down the road and the window was down. And I said, God, that's, that smells terrible. Would you roll up the window? You know, it's just the opposite of some of the guys riding in the car where you have to roll down the window because something smells terrible. The old man shocked me. He goes, smells like money to me, boy. What I didn't know is he owned the paper mill in the town, right? See, there are curses attached with the blessings that God gives you. And to him, this was not uh, something that was bad. When, when he received negative comments, he just saw it as affirmation of, uh, of who he is. <laughs> we teach the men and the women in our family. When people dislike you because you are polarizing, that's okay. There's a remnant that is going to love you. So don't you be sad. You don't need to go be a social media champion. What you need to do is look for the one remnant that God is looking for. This is a cursing for men. But of course, God turns it into a double blessing. That took us right to our point today where your family is the banner. That is our subject as we talk about patents of nobility. And we want to hop right into the word. Do you want to do that? Amen. Come on, start turning to 1 Corinthians 1 and 26. Somebody say there when you're there. There, 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 popcorn. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Can somebody say amen to that in the room? But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. Say our righteousness. It's not just his, it becomes our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We're going to continue in Corinthians for a moment, but this lays down the clear path that what men think are noble, God finds despised. He flips it upside down. He turns it around. And in this room, you were an enemy of God. You were not noble. You were not wise. But he chose you because you were willing to come to him and he could make something out of you. It's important to remember in this room that we are supposed to be turning our lives upside down. That what it means to become noble in the sight of God is that you are constantly changing your personal preferences, your personal likes to what the scripture says, to what the spirit of God is desiring in this room. In this, he makes us righteous, holy and redemption. And then it belongs to us as a son. It is your possession. Amen. Before Judah moves on with that on the subject of human ancestry. 
We live in such an interesting time. This is so much fun. Have you ever met somebody that was a strong, proud African? They're seriously excited about it to the point where you could get the idea that if you were not as African as they were, something was wrong with you. Because Ancestry.com has ruined a lot of people's beliefs like that. I also know a man that told the whole world, hey, yeah, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew. And uh, he turned out to not only not, be Afri- not only not be a Jew, but be African. So no matter where you set your hopes in your human ancestry, it can be vastly disappointing. You can think you're of the tribe of Judah and be from the Buntu tribe. You can be very, very excited about being of the Kissy tribe and find out that you're actually European. Uh, our hopes need to be set somewhere else. I once was in a rehearsal dinner where a very, very proud man, like maybe once more respect than God will allow any man to have, stood and recited his family history. The problem is, is these are just the lies his ancestors agreed to. There's no more way that that's true than it's only true in the figments of his own imagination. Today, we want to talk to you about what is actually noble descent. Amen. Now, as much as I loved that video earlier, I thought it was hilarious. Our God and Paul did not come to speak to men in this way. We're going to take a look at chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about our God. Come on now, think about this for a minute. When you're testifying before the world about the God who made it, the creation of everything, And men get an announcement like this. It's obviously a joke and a parody, but it's based upon real life events. How do rulers of the world have themselves announced? When the president arrives, he has an entourage. He has lights. He has announcements. He wants the whole world to see his pomp. But the king of kings is preached without eloquent words or superior wisdom, but with a testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We can camp on that for just a moment. Do you know nothing but Christ in your day? Are you halfway occupied with the latest football game, with what's going on and what you want to eat later for tonight? Are you in a moment occupied with Christ? Are you as divided as somebody who is heralding this, heralding that? What is it that your life is preaching? Or is it solely about Christ? Paul says, I came to you in weakness and in fear, with much trembling. It's hard for me to imagine considering the things that he says next. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, none of us were born noble. We were actually born as enemies of the king. Romans 5.10 tells us this, but something of a supernatural power, something that was life-changing in us, turned us around. It wasn't a gradual event. It wasn't a warming and an acceptance of ideas. There was a demonstration of the Spirit's power in our lives. Jeffrey Chaucer didn't show up at your conversion and forge patents of nobility for you. They were literally written in the blood of Jesus, who is the Christ. The 10th chapter of Hebrews, verses 19 through 23, literally say this. You now have access to the kingship of the monarch of the universe because of what Jesus did for you with his blood. We are not simply changing our attire, making up a name, and having a herald announce us. 
our beginning of our family banners starts with something so supernatural that it's not worth comparing with the documents we displayed earlier. Come on now. We cannot be sedate in this room. You're my friends. You're my family. I know you. I will call your names. Can somebody get excited in the house of God? He gave you something that was better than what was given to kings and nobility. He gave you papers that are better than a U.S. passport. Can I get an amen from some of you back there? And some of you need a U.S. passport. Yes, you do. And we'll work on that as well. The king of kings loves you so much that what men have dreamed of for years, that a movie was written about forging so that somebody might have a shot, he laid down his life so that Tom might have nobility that was... Yeah! So that Paul Rosales and his whole wife and his descendants might have a kingship. Come on, it's one thing to grant you citizenship. It's another thing to grant all of your children's children citizenship. Can a family in this room say amen this morning? Daniel Cho is not relying on an epic introduction. He's relying on what can only be described as an epic transformation. If you want to read about it, it's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Each one of us is shown to be in the kingdom of God because we have been transformed by the power of Christ. We do not need a family seal. We do not need a ring that the Pope kisses. We do not need introductions for men what we need is a life that is so powerfully transformed no one can deny it now i want to show you a couple pictures of a few really handsome people okay so i was 50 percent correct when we're looking at these in the bottom right corner is my father some of you watched me preach his funeral he wasted his entire life he was smarter drunk than i am sober Do you see how much he and I look alike? I can't change the fact that I am not descendant from a noble line. This is my genetic history. But I want you to notice something. My son, who's in the top right, is a lot more handsome. His son is extraordinary. Titus. Something happens in the multiplication through the generations. And we were interested in what that might look like. So we we used an app. Scientific research, mind you. Yeah. So, as I get older, I am undoubtedly going to look very much like my father. But my son, not so much. And his son, not at all. Something begins to happen to us when we are in the kingdom. With each successive generation, we move away from the ignoble nature of our ancestors and we begin to resemble the man from heaven. The one that gave us new birth into a new stock. That's the whole idea, is that we are not taking pride in what came before. All of our pride is wrapped up in what happens from here forward. Somebody say amen. Amen. On that note, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Man, that's a good word. I'm excited about that day. It's happening now. I want to focus practically on what a noble name looks like, what a heavenly patence of nobility, a family banner actually looks like. Let's go to Luke 8.15. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to get there. This is one of those passages you're sure you understand, and I promise you don't. Luke 8 in verse 15. But the seed on good soil. Somebody say good. Good. 
stands for those with a noble and good heart. Make no mistake about it, the passage about the four soils is about the condition of your heart. The seed is the same in every case. It is not the parable of the sower. The sower doesn't change. He does exactly what he does. The seed doesn't change. It does exactly what it does. The issue that the parable is drawing your attention to is whether or not your own heart is actually noble. He says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Now we're going to define them. Who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. We are talking about a noble and good heart. Come on, do I have some DCD man in the room? Yeah. Still have your voice. Yeah. Say, hear it. Hear it. Retain it. Retain it. Persevere. Persevere. Produce. Produce. The seal of our patents of nobility is intrinsically linked to what we produce out of our life. The way that we do that is we hear, we retain, we persevere and produce. Noble seed and noble soil will yield a result. As sure as this rain is coming down now, will cause things to grow up. God is planting seeds of faith inside of us. And if we can turn the soil of our hearts into something that is noble and wanting to spring up, God will cause it to grow in this room. I'm not sure you're appreciating quite how good that is. The seed that you were given is an eternal seed. Peter calls it an imperishable seed. The seed that you were given is already noble. You have the opportunity to condition your heart to be noble. And when noble seed hits noble soil, the results are noble. Oh man, do you want that? Hey, how many of you were around in the 1990s? Hmm. Do you remember this particular family? (laughs) Man, I remember that was watched in my household every day. The disparity. We watched this and felt good, and we watched Miami Vice and felt like we needed to repent. We were just good Baptists in those days, and uh, most of our religious service was lip service. This family captured the attention of America. I mean, we finally have some iconic figures who do such a good job of displaying family values. Everybody wanted a dad like Huxtable. Everybody wanted a family that looked like this. It was the 1990s version of Leave it to Beaver. Let's read Numbers 25 for a minute. Hey, what's that guy's name in the middle of that screen? Bill Cosby. Numbers 25. Verse 6. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. Listen, all of Israel was repenting and one guy begins to do something wicked. While we're thinking about that, did you know that the scripture names the family that was committing this? It's Numbers 25, 15. The name of the Midianite woman who was put to death was Cosby. 
The whole world was shocked to find out that the image, go back to the image of this perfect family, was actually a pervert. Somebody who date rapes people. Somebody who puts drugs in their drinks and abuses them. And this went on for decades while the image looked noble, but the soil was rotten. I want to tell you something, church. It is not noble to look the other way at sexual immorality in your family. That is ignoble. What is righteous is to stand up and do something about it. We do not turn a blind eye to unrighteous behavior while wearing a righteous patent of nobility. We stand up for what is right even if it means that somebody in your family suffers consequence because of it. Amen. Psalm 45 verse 1 says, My heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite my verses for the king, if you pick up in the seventh verse, it begins to describe you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. See, it is righteous to hate wickedness. And it is displeasing to God for men to look at what is a righteous deed as of little account. In this passage, it lines out what it means to be filled with joy. What it means to have the attitude of Christ, the attitude of your banner. It is not noble to soil your attitude by making compromise for yourself or anyone inside of your banner. See, in this room, we've all been in a position where we've tolerated an attitude in our heart when we're frustrated or somebody else is despairing that is soiling our family banner, soiling our family's attitude. But what is noble is to draw straight and clear lines where we hate what is wicked. We hold it far from us. We don't allow it to come near this banner. No, this is precious. This is pure. My king made this for me and I'm not going to let you get that on it. What is noble is to stand for what is righteous even if you're like Phinehas and going against the grain of society. In this room, we have the ability to be anointed with joy from God that gives us a righteous attitude and a righteous banner. And we're not going to soil our attitude. Raise your hand if you've had some difficulty raising a teenager. Well, we have a young congregation. (laughs) Raise your hand if you have been the difficult teenager to raise. Yeah, so we are reaching everybody. Look, I was on a college campus in Denton not long ago. And I saw what I thought was a painted Jezebel. (laughs) Apparently... Everybody on the college campus has decided to wear yoga pants. It's not noble for people that you're not married to to see those parts of your body. That's not noble at all. And then I discovered that it wasn't actually a painted Jezebel. Many of them were painted yogi bears. They, uh, that was even less noble. Less, less noble. Even more offensive for all kinds of reasons. What the scripture teaches us is noble is found in Proverbs 31.10. A wife of noble character. And then a question's asked. Who can find? See, the Bible is literally asking this question. In today's world, you want to do something noble? Raise your daughter to have a character that is beautiful. Amen. Raise your daughter to protect the parts of her body from the view of the world so that she doesn't attract attention from somebody other than the one man that she's called to marry. That's a good word. You know, you weren't allowed to go into the holy place and just peek into the holy of holies. One man, only one time a year, and that man was born born and anointed by God for that one task. If two men had done that, the whole temple structure would be defiled. 
We better get away from our yoga pants wearing society. I'm telling you, LCM, I love you very much, but I don't want to see any of you in yoga pants. Proverbs 31.30 says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. I got to tell you, that's the difference between the painted Jezebel and the painted Yogi Bear. That beauty will only last so long and those curves will only last so long, but, but something will last forever. And he says it right here. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Amen. Give her her reward that she has earned and let her works, her works, somebody say works. Works. Bring her praise at the city gate. The idea is that we raise women who are praised for their character, not their curves. The fact that they happen to be beautiful will be appreciated by their husband, but it is not to be appreciated by the entire world. Well, let's look at Acts 5, 40. I'll start to read it to you. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. See, what is noble with your sons is to teach them to do this. What is noble with your sons is to teach them to preach without fear of consequence, to long to suffer for the kingdom. What is ignoble in this house is for us to raise up sons, daughters that are obsessed with some other form of completion, some other form of affirmation, maybe from Facebook, maybe from Instagram, maybe from kids at school. We are meant to find accomplishments in what we suffered for the King of Kings. Say it's noble to suffer. It's no, more noble to preach anyway. See, we we're raising up family banners that know this from the beginning. We have a chance to head this off now. We don't have to wait until somebody's 25, 26 and in college wearing yoga pants and on Instagram. You can right now begin to get this right where their expectations are for your family banner. And it should be righteousness. To recap for you, it's not noble to look the other way at sexual immorality. That is ignoble. What would be noble is instead to do something about it. It's not noble to have a wicked, sullen attitude. It's actually noble to hate wickedness. It's not noble to flaunt your body. Oswald Chambers said an unguarded strength is a double weakness. It is actually ignoble. What would be godly is to be praised for your character. It's not noble to be a Facebook addict and look for affirmation everywhere in the world. What is noble is to sacrifice for the great name of Jesus Christ and preach his gospel. Now let me touch Texas's particular idol. It is not noble to raise your children with ambitions of becoming an athletic star. There is nothing noble about that. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For physical training is of some value. Another way to say it is of little value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I'm not saying that your children can't be trained through the discipline of athletics. I'm saying that you ruin your family banner by aiming them at athletics. We are to aim for righteousness. We are not to settle for these base gladiatorial events that are solely focused on gaining glory for a person's own life. Now, on the topic of aspirations and aims that people set their children out on, a specific occupation is something that over and over again, parents say, I want them to be a doctor. I want them to be a lawyer. I want them to be 
Whatever this carnal aim that they've had for years that they want their child to do. With no consideration for what they're calling, their function, or what God says they're called to do. And in this room, far too many of us take pride in what we do for a living over what God says about our family function. See, I know brothers in this room that I love dearly, that are obsessed with having some kind of sales job. And they keep losing them. And the best thing they could ever do is go be faithful somewhere for eight hours a day and work for 40 hours a week and feed their family. I know some men in this room who keep changing jobs every time somebody offers you 99 cents more. I also know other men in this room who've worked faithfully in the same spot for 20, 30 years and have been a consistent witness. See, we got to grow up in this. Psalm 37, 2 through 3 says, For like the grass that will soon wither away, like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. It is not noble to aim ourselves or our children after things that will wither. But it is noble to aim them at trusting the Lord no matter what they do. Let's be real. You want them to be a doctor. You want them to be a lawyer. You want them to be an engineer. You want them to do something that brings financial security so that you don't have to worry about them. But the scripture clearly says in Psalm 37 too that those things will wither away. You know what will never wither away? Trusting the Lord and doing good. Do you know what it says that that will produce? Safety and enjoy safe pasture in the land. You're aiming at something that will not do what you think it will do. It's not noble, it's ignoble. I've just come from the remnant church. The remnant church is going through a revolution at this moment. Because people who are on their way to be Olympians, people who are 4.0 students aimed at a particular occupation, are rebelling against the idea that that is God's destiny for them. Now, this has branded the remnant church a cult immediately. Of course, I've learned to define cult as people who are far more serious about Jesus than you. Because their carnal parents are calling 22 and 23-year-old adults children. And they're saying that those children don't have the right to make this decision. And they have charted their children's future. The problem is, is God is calling what are actually adults to a higher standard. And they don't want to waste their life chasing medals. They don't want to waste their life looking for affirmation and a corporate title. They want to do the will of God. And this has caused the whole world to shake on its axis. At least for those that are initiated only minorly with the kingdom. That are totally unempowered and completely compromised. Well, that is not noble. What is noble is to be sold out for the king of kings. Others have left this body over it to which we go, wow, don't let the door hit you on the way out. We want those that are serious about raising up a spiritual house that defeats the gates of hell. On that subject, let me tell you what else is not noble. Video games. Let's go to Proverbs twelve eleven. Proverbs twelve eleven. He who works his land will have abundant food. But he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. You have a serious mental condition if you are playing video games. I mean that for every age in here. But parent, you are responsible for those that are minors in your household. And you don't want them to be teenagers that are addicted to porn, but you are addicting them to an electronic device at an early age. You need to stop it. And the truth is, is we find out in 1 Kings fifteen twelve exactly how this happens. 1 Kings 15, 12. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all of the idols his fathers had made. My generation is the first one in this room that played video games. 
Charlie didn't play video games. That wasn't a part of his upbringing. He actually learned to use a hammer and a skill saw. My generation got the first Nintendo or maybe Atari. And because of that, we were only lightly poisoned. And we not only played video games, we did it into our adult years so that our children saw us doing it and they began to imitate it. And then we wonder why our children are not the men that our fathers were. You need to get rid of this now. At any age in this church, if you are playing video games, you are subjecting your children to a kind of stimulation that is not much different than the things that teenagers do when looking at dirty pictures. And it builds a fantasy that they should never have. It allows them to accomplish in a virtual world something that robs from them in the physical world. You have to fix this. It's not noble to sit around and play video games. It's noble to get out and work the land of God's harvest and bring something into the real physical world that changes it for the glory of God. If you were listening to me in one of the One Association churches and you were playing video games, wait till I visit. or sitting around surfing the web wondering what happens if I happen to type this phrase you know what happens it's why you're doing it hey what's Revelation say Revelation 18 7 through 8 says give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself in her heart she boasts I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and I will never mourn We need to reflect on this passage briefly. It doesn't take a great deal of understanding to get what is being said here. What God is saying is give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. Each man in this room should take it into account in their own life. Not how much you gave out of your plenty. Not how much you did out of your wealth. But how much comfort and luxury or in your own life that are a substitution for actually accomplishing something in your day. Is a new truck? Is a new house? Is it this modification to your house? Is it this in your workplace? That are becoming a luxury and a glory that is a substitute for the glory of God. See, in this room, we all need tools. We need to operate in certain things. But there is a day that we will all be judged by. Not just what you gave out of your plenty. Not out of your Saturday that you had anything in the world you wanted to do. You gave 10 minutes to come help with this. It's what did you do with the other 8, 9, 10, 11 hours out of the day. It's what did you do with the rest of what you had. In this room, it is not noble for you to waste your life, your energy, on things that are luxurious and glorious in the moment, but are your condemnation at the end. But it is noble for you to lay everything that you have down to the ground. When we preach about zero faith, we're not just speaking about a single service. We're speaking about a lifestyle that is all out with your time, with your family, with your children, with your job. Everything that is at your disposal is what you will be judged by, and it is noble to sacrifice it again and again. Let's get where, where we're going. Let's see if we can hit what we're aiming at. Are you ready for 2 Timothy? Go to 2 Timothy, discover the second chapter, and then land on the 20th verse. Amen. The Rosales clan is there. Are the rest of you there? In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Let's think of this for just a minute. LCM's become a large house. And in this large house, every family has got some gold in it. Some beautiful, divine things that the Lord has birthed in you. 
But many of the houses in this room also have some wood or clay. They're not things that the world would ever call sinful, but the world is not the judge. Mm -hmm. They're things that the Lord is calling us higher than. And He's calling us higher than it because He wants to bring forth generations from this room that affect the world, not generations that are exactly like the world. See, while the rest of the church world is having a hard time figuring out even what a supernatural transformation is, they rank, turn in decision cards and raise a pinky during an emotional moment, and that is the entirety of their Christian walk. We're going through a process of how to build a supernatural family because the whole point is that we want this to carry through generations. Look what Paul is saying to Timothy. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. Which do you want to be? Noble. Noble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any uh, prepared to do any good work. You need to ask yourself, where am I on the spectrum? Am I silver but mixed with some clay and some wood? Because if you want to be noble, if you want to be holy, if you want to be useful, it only comes through a cleansing. Many times parents have begun to get this right in their life, but their fear makes them get it wrong for their children. They don't want their child to struggle in the way that they did, so they want them to have some kind of worldly security. The problem is it is your struggle that made you into the man of God or woman of God that you are today. Wow. Your children are going to have to struggle. If you insulate them from everything that they are actually called to encounter, then they will not be prepared for the things that they encounter. This is true of the way that we use antibacterial uh, wash on our hands. It's true of the way that you're no longer allowed to ride a bike without a helmet. You're forced to look like a retarded person to ride a bike. We are so safety conscious. We want to protect so much that we have a generation that if we have to send to war, it'll actually encourage the enemy to invade. This is a problem. We don't have men that look like men. We don't have women that want to be women. What we have is some kind of strange metrosexual blend. And even those that are committed to the most perverse of lifestyles have to add a new letter to their acronym every week because they can't decide whether they're in love with each other or dolphins. We're going to have to develop some convictions based on a noble calling, a noble life. And as you develop them, they become the rails that your family runs on. And everybody else in the world looks and goes, Hey, they're doing this and they're doing that. And you look at your child and you say, We are Stevens. We are born of God. We don't do that. But they say they're a Christian. And you just wink and say, We're full price Christians. Okay. This is what we're talking about because we know that what it will result in in the decades to come is an exponential multiplication in the kingdom. Yep. I am living proof that while having a drug addict for a father, when I was born of heaven, my children, I have aimed at the same goal from the moment they were born. They are twice the men of God that I was at the very same age. When we get to their children, this will be exponentially more true, which is why the devil is, is working so hard to keep you 
from developing your family banner. To keep you from standing on good footing. As long as you're wishy-washy on some issues, you implement on Monday but fail by Wednesday, as long as this is the case, He knows that it will not make it to the third generation. It's going to take a supernatural anointing, a supernatural cleansing. Some of you have some serious work to do to go back and reclaim your lost years already. Stop hiding it. Stop pretending like your family is a perfect picture. You cannot hide the fruit that is on the branch. Instead, do you know what we do? You prune something back far enough to let it grow. Confront wickedness. Confront what is wrong. Have the courage to address your own family. And you will watch God bless it. I have found out that preachers sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes tell the truth at your family funeral. But they never tell the truth at their own family's funeral. This is wickedness in the highest order. If you do not judge your own family correctly, you cannot work in the family of God. So this is aimed at all of us taking proper assessment of whether we have wood or clay or gold or silver. And I'm going to tell you, we all have mixtures of those things. It's time to get cleansed, to get right, because we want to be of noble descent. And the good news is, you can Every person in this room can absolutely guarantee that the children growing up in their house work with the Lord. You can guarantee that. You say, oh, but what about free will? We can have the Armenian debate later if you want to. Right now, I'm simply going to stand on the proverb that says, if you train a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it, meaning he will not have departed. You say, but I've had a different experience. The problem was your training. The problem is not the Word of God. Let's adjust our training starting right now. Amen. We want to tell you in James 2 that it clearly lines out that there are men who are defaming the noble name of God by their conduct, by their actions. More than that, their families. Each of you have the responsibility, the ability to bring glory to God in this room through the nobleness of your own deeds because they reflect Him or to bring shame upon the King of Kings through your family and your works. And that decision is placed before us. In Titus 1, verse 16, it says, They claim to know God, but their actions through their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. See, the Scripture places a heavy weight upon us. And in regards, there is no wiggle room. There is nowhere to go. That How your children do, how your wife does in this room right now, is a reflection of how well you were reflecting the king. Whether you were a king in your own house or you are a dog and a servant in the kingdom of God. And we have a choice to become the men of God that we're called to right now. We don't have to live the way that we have in the past. We don't have to continue to let things grow that infester, that must be cut and burned. In this room, we're going to stand as one house. Can somebody say, I'm going to stand? No more low living. No more passing over things that don't belong in your family banner. It's time that we raise it high. And you cannot get it up on that mountain without you standing in righteousness. It's not possible for you to reach it. It is not possible to be noble on your own. No king, no family can be built by themselves. So in this room, it's time that we take account that our wives are more than anything else a necessity. It's, it's, it's non-negotiable. That you must build into your family a character that is equal to that of Christ. And let's be frank as friends and men. You can tell who in this room has been taking that seriously with their family and who hasn't. But as friends, we're going to stand next to each other and help each other get it right 
today. Each of the households in this place. Look, if you're in the room and you're like, you're becoming aware of this. And you're like, there's already so much that's happened. Trust me, I get it. It's like, I didn't know. Like, no, I really, I didn't know. I, I grew up in a house where the extent of our Christian walk was that you went to church twice a month and called that good. We, we proclaimed to everybody Christ, but none of us lived like it. I, I know that there are parents in the room that uh, have a pretty serious walk with the Lord. And you have children that don't reflect that in any way. I'm not shaming you. I, I understand completely how difficult this is. And having said that, you have to come to grips with the fact that the Bible says what it says. If you start your investment at their birth, they're still going to have difficult teenage years. But they come out of them just like Israel came out of the time period of the judges. It happens. Um, if you are the difficult adult child in the room, meaning that you are in fact an adult, but you're the child of somebody in the room, Understand that it slanders a noble name, according to James uh, chapter 2 and verse 7, when our actions don't show that we belong. Okay? Now, no parent wants to be embarrassed of their children, except everybody makes fun of preacher's kids, don't they? Yeah. I mean, have you ever met preacher's kids that were decent human beings? Most of them were total degenerates that I've known. So I set out to do something different. I held my children to a higher standard than I held anyone else in the church. They publicly failed. You have seen that. And they are all standing in the house of God still being transformed. See, this is what it means to hold the standard. It means that you don't spare your own son even when it's more embarrassing to you than it is to him. You do not spare at all, ever, at any time because it's God that you represent. And you trust that the Lord will close the gap. And you pray and you fight and you reason and you use the word that is the sword of God. And I got to tell you something, it works. Look, I don't know how old the devil was when he rebelled, but I would guess it's about 15 because every child at about 15 loses their mind. They make you feel like a great parent up until that point. Like you are the best parent in the world because they can quote a scripture because they do what you tell them to do when you're watching them and all of those things. Around 15, they seem to despise your very existence. But you keep planting the seed. You keep working. You keep disciplining. You keep, your task is not over. They've actually entered into a time period of autonomy that is growing And it's your job to be the prophet in their life that brings the very word of God. And it might be like Samuel showing up where the town's terrified. If you come for war, you have to come to grips with the fact this is our responsibility. It is our family banner. Most of this church has children under 10. So you're still looking forward to what I'm talking about. I want to tell you that your investment now makes all the difference later. People that do not spank their seven-year-old when he is 17, he is slapping mom in the face and dad is calling the police. You must lay down the absolute biblical standard. And the earlier you do it, the more you're benefited by it. They'll all go through rebellion, but it won't be the kind of rebellion that you went through. Okay? You know, I've been seeing a supernatural work of nobility in that household right there. I'm watching Assad and Evan grow up in nobility. I remember when Evan came into the church and I remember times that, you know, we all like, all right, it's going to get better. It's all, we're, we're a family here. It's going to be okay. We're with you guys. And I'm watching him turn into a fine, noble young man. 
You know why? It's because Assad and Kayla want nobility and they're willing to fight for it and it's happening in their life. Rick and DJ are fighting for righteousness. I watch Rick praying. I watch him reading the scriptures, speaking into his life. And we are going to see a supernatural noble line born. I believe that. You know, the truth is, is that David and Michael will one day stand and preach on this stage. So will Assad. So will DJ. So will Rick. So will Levi. We're going to fight and win for these things. Rob, where are you? Are you... Rob, you and Andrew have the opportunity to stand here and display what we are displaying right now. Nolan, Nolan and Benaya will one day stand here. This is what we are fighting for. We are fighting not to lose generations, but for the next generation to go further than that. Amen. We have some new babies in the room that from right now, we get the opportunity to see them instill. We have Yusuf with Ibrahim. We have Reese with Ray. We have Paul and Gabriel. We have Marlon and Daniel. Yes. Chris and Ethan. Gabriel and Tobias. Daniel and Deacon. And we've got a bunch of new babies that get to be raised as noble men of God. When Pastor Wade gets back, we're going to have he and Gabe stand on this stage and display what we're talking about. When J.J. Moloch gets back, we're going to have a message with J.J. and Josiah standing on this stage. Charlie, Caleb, and Henry will stand as three generations displaying a family banner. We're going to be visited by Pastor Eric Treister who will stand with Justin Treister and Joshua Treister and display exactly what we're talking about. And this Wednesday, we're going to see Baj and Nick Aragina stand and talk in anticipation of Boss Baby Aragina. And you'll see exactly what it means to redefine a family name. Amen. See, we are building nobility. Regardless of what have happened in past days, we have the ability to turn a corner now. That we're raising up something that is righteous, that is holy, that we get to see transforming before our eyes. I want to tell you in, Luke, in uh, Ruth 3.10, speaks about a daughter who was blessed because of her great kindness and her actions that were visible. Verse 11 says, And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know you're a woman of noble character. Man, the Proverbs asked a question, but Ruth answered it. She was noble and known to all of the townsmen because her deeds were so numerous they could not be hidden. Look at what is being hinted at in this scripture. Did Ruth actually descend from a noble line? No, not at all. She's a Moabitess and her husband... I mean, he ended up dead outside of the land of Israel during a famine. And her sister was a turncoat who would not come. Nothing about this is noble. And yet everybody in the town said or was knew that her character was noble. Do you know why? Because she displayed it in her actions everywhere that she went. Man, that should bring hope. It should bring some hope to women in here, women out there, that you may have been a Moabitess in this room up to this point. But that noble deeds can change the entire town's perspective about you. Some people say Moab means the mother of all bombs. But there, there is another way to read that. <laughs> the thing is, is you're going to reproduce according to your own kind. That's been true since the first chapter of Genesis. And if what you are is a somewhat clay, somewhat wood, a remnant of divinity and a remnant of redemption in your life, that's exactly what you're going to produce. And things tend to deteriorate over time, not improve. It's going to take an absolute concerted effort at the nobility of Christ to produce children that go further than we do. Habibi, where are you at? You in here? Okay. 
There oh, he is. Yes. I want to tell you Exodus 12, 38 to 39 says that a mixed multitude, multitude also went up with him. This had to be made up of Egyptians and other people who had been brought in, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. See, in this room, we have men who were enemies of God and now have been included in Christ. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, and yet a multitude had a heart change that included them in the noble line. See, you were a mixed multitude, but now you are unified, noble, heavenly, empowered, and transformed into a new race. As we reach the end of this message, let's do something. If there was a mixed multitude, a multinational group that came to Mount Sinai in Exodus 12, what is the name of the nation that received the law at Exodus 12? It's actually Exodus 20, but Israel. And what does Israel mean? So whatever they were, for instance, Ibrahim was called Mizraim. He's a son of Mizraim, an Egyptian. He is now included in the patents of nobility of Israel, the prince with God. See, this is what we're aiming at. Leaving our ignoble things behind and being included as a prince with God. Would everybody in the room go to Isaiah 8? We're going to cover verse 18 before our closing. As I read it. Actually, yeah. Stevens, would you please come to the front of the room? Man, we're doing our job multiplying. Y'all come on. Y'all come right down here. Cody, bigness. Take down the center right there. Y'all slide on in here. Towards the center of the room. Don't be shy. You're Stevens. Isaiah 8, 18. Here am I. And the children the Lord has given me. We are signs. We are symbols in Israel. From the Lord Almighty who dwells on Zion. Let me walk through this with you for a minute. What we've been talking about. In fact, the last eight messages. Although they were almost all preached by somebody else. It came from the Stephen sitting thinking about the banner that the Lord gave us. And we've since branched off and it's helped other families find their banners, which has always been the goal. Look, to be a sign, an oat, you must be supernatural. It can't be any other kind. Ohad and I were discussing this and it blessed me. I love that we have Israelis in our church body now. An oat is a masculine noun. Masculine. Somebody say masculine. Masculine. To make a masculine noun plural in the Hebrew language, you almost always, like nearly every time, you add im, I am. Elohim is a masculine noun that is considered plural because it ends in I am. This is true of every masculine noun that you can think of in Hebrew. Ot is a masculine noun, and when you make it plural, it does not become ot im. It breaks the rule. It breaks the rule so as to draw your attention to it. To make oat, the masculine noun, plural, you add the feminine ending. Somebody say feminine. feminine. 
Feminine. Come on, ladies. Say feminine. feminine. When you add to the masculine noun, oat, the feminine ending, which is also oat, you build a miraculous family sign called the banner. See, when Jennifer and I joined each other in the faith and for the purpose of reproducing a family, it's a masculine noun with a beautiful feminine ending. Oat, oat. This is why banners is plural in Numbers 2. It's why signs is plural here. It's the merger of a masculine noun and a feminine ending and a multiplication of a supernatural sign. That's what this is supposed to be. I want to show you a patents of nobility. We have that last slide. When you look at this, this uh, I'm no artist. Uh, the artistry in our life is what God has already done here. That he's taken scared boys and girls from places like nowhere, Louisiana, and taken us from brawling in parking lots and doing God what else knows God knows what else in those same parking lots, to being transformed by the supernatural power of Christ, so that what comes from us through the generations is equal to and surpasses what God did in us. Our family banner. We listed the names on the left. On the right, it begins in the same place that yours does. Each of us has to be radically and supernaturally transformed. That was not immediately evident to me. Understand, I was wicked. I got radically transformed. I didn't think my little ones were wicked. I thought they were pretty good kids. They grew up in church. No, they are wicked little sinners. And they have to be born again like anybody else. Do not make the mistake of thinking that your four-year-old is a, a beautiful little angel. It's not true. And that's the first way that you can screw up their whole upbringing is not recognizing that their base nature is depraved. Amen. When I got radically and supernaturally transformed, God began to add to us a mezuzah. As that mezuzah develops, it becomes a family banner. Those promises that we spoke of, it comes from Isaiah 59, 21. The word will not depart and must not depart through the generations. That each of us have a responsibility to take the same spirit that was given to us and give it to our children that God is adding to us. And we read in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, that as Stevens, we always insist on paying the full price. And I can say with confidence that we are all here because of that. Amen. That I am now included in the Stevens family because they chose, and now we're choosing to pay the full price. Um, and I have a scripture, Exodus 3.12. And God say, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The completion is our mission. And I stand here today as a testimony. And I'll testify that we, the Stephens, have a mission and are on a mission. And you will know when it's complete. There's hanging in my study a picture of meeting her father. And Cody was standing next to me. And when we said we would come back, we did. When we said we would support his ministry always, 
we did. When we said we would bring food, we did. When we said we'd build a house, we did. When we said even if the cartel is blockading the border, we will find a way in, we did. And because of that, we're standing looking at a grandson named Moshe. See, that's what it looks like to complete a mission with supernatural components. Sasha. From Mark 6, 7, as Stevens, we are proud and love to work in teams. In First Kings, what we see is Elijah looking at Israel, and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? In the Stevens, we don't waver between two opinions. There is no wiggle room. And part of our family banner is we don't allow wiggle room in the people around us. It makes us polarizing, but we're proud of it for the kingdom. My wife loves to preach. She can't wait to get that microphone in her hand. She found out she was doing this during worship. Isaiah eight eighteen, We are the sign. We are called as a family to be a supernatural sign for everyone to see. Look, what happens here is when you don't elevate your family name through seeking a, some kind of prestige in your employment or seeking some kind of prestige in your education or seeking some kind of prestige in your athletics or whoring yourself out there on social media. But instead, all you want to do is sacrifice for the kingdom of God and advance it. The Lord makes your family a supernatural sign. Isaiah was literally standing before the nation with his wife, children, and disciples. And he said, the Lord has made us otot, a supernatural, miraculous banner to the nation. Could we put our last scripture on the screen while we stand here? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You could hang up in your house We're going to read that third verse in just a second. But you could hang up in your house a patents of nobility. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I think you might should. It's kind of like an expanded mezuzah. It'll remind everybody in your house what you're aiming for. But the thing is, that's not any good if it can't be read on the lives of the people outside the house. Ruth did not show up with her pedigree. Ruth showed up with sacrificial godly actions and the whole town could see her family banner. Do you know what that did for her? It put her in the noble line of Christ literally. See, what you are doing right now, get over the fact that I hurt your feelings talking about your children or that I hurt your feelings talking about the pants you wear. Get over it. What's at stake is whether or not you're in the line of Christ. And I'm not talking about you being eternally saved. I'm talking about others being saved through your family line. A thousand generations is what we're aiming for. You showed that you yourselves are our letter. Written, written on our hearts. Known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter. The result of ministry. 
written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Amen. I want you to understand that this ministry bears the attributes of the Stevens family. That's why we can use this as an example. It also bears the attributes of the Piro family, which is why we use them as an example. It also bears the attributes of the Sutherland family. That is beyond question. Will your family bear your family banner's attributes? That's entirely up to you. We need your family to match what you are professing. If you are one of those families that it speaks well, but the evidence is not there, now's our time to fix it. It's, it's our time. You're going to go through ups and downs for sure. Your kids for sure will embarrass you. For sure. It hurts. It, it's hard to stand up in front of people and say, we're signs, we're symbols. When they're hurting your feelings. And it shows the ultimate trust in the King of Kings. And the Stevens are living proof. You can knock us down, but you ought not gloat over us because we stand right back up in the power of God. You can have the same hope for your family. Start wherever you are. We show faith that he will change things by acting. Heads of households, now is the moment to reflect in your own life. Are you shining an example that your family can follow that is strong and noble in a kingly kind of way? Then you need to be a man who is a priest of your home. Inspect the rest of your house. And then at the altar, in sitting with brothers, in public, with pastors, whatever it is that you need to do, it's time to drag things out of the light that are not living up to what you are called to be. Because we have a job to do, and each of these families are precious in this room. Your family is precious to the Stevens. And we know that you guys love us, that you want to follow. Now is the time to do it. We're going to pray. Don't just run to the altar and cry your eyes out. If you need to repent of something, do it. If you need to go grab your wife, if you need to go grab your children, if you need to go grab a brother, go do it before we just sit and have an emotional moment. What we want is to stand holding our banners high, unashamed in this room. And that, that is within reach of everyone in this room. That's not too high. That's not too far. Everyone can walk out of here without shame, without guilt, and filled with the noble character of God. Respond as you feel led by the Holy Ghost as we do this. I have a Jesus. word. I have a word as you to praise. It's not too late. Yeah. It's not too late. If you're 50, 60, 70, 80 in this room, it's not too late. The family that still bears your name, you have great authority and power in the heavens over. It's not too late. Daniel repented even for his ancestors. Take responsibility for your family. Don't shed it in any direction. And it is not too late. Jesus, we lay ourselves before you now. Lord, we're asking that in your great mercy, Lord, you might move upon us. Jesus, we want you to turn us over. Lord, we want you to sift through our hearts and show us what is wicked. Lord, and act upon it now, removing it. Jesus, because your name is great, it is noble, it is glorious, Lord, and you are offering a heart change for us now and an empowerment that we need. 
Jesus, we ask that you would move inside of this room. Lord, that you would restore relationships that have been broken. Lord, that you would restore things that have been sinful for years. Jesus, that you would break up those ancient stones, O Lord, and allow fresh heart to come out, that they might be circumcised in this room. Jesus, let your spirit pour upon us, O Lord, and revive souls. Jesus, revive marriages, revive households. Lord, we invite you in this room and say you are the only thing that matters. Here and now, we give you our attention.